1: Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Joining us today are two friends of the podcast, Ronjan Roy, a return guest who helped us break down the GameStop madness a couple of weeks ago. Don't worry, the economy has calmed down and is totally rational now. And John Duruk, uh, his co-author, co-host at Margins, one of my favorite financial and tech Newsletters, which you should all subscribe to if you're not already, uh, definitely worthwhile. John also is uh, starting a new company. He says on his website it's about uh, textiles, but um, word on the street is it's about software. So maybe we can get him to tell us a little bit about that. Although, John, you're more than willing to, you're more than welcome to keep that under wraps if you'd like to. You can give us a scoop here off the bat.
2: Um, sure. It is something creative. Um, okay. So I think that's like that's like that. <laughs> so I mean I think the way we describe it is like more openly is that we're kind of working on a new creative medium. It is not audio. It is not blockchain. So I can kind of like rule out a couple, uh, you know, usual suspects. Yeah, but it's a it's a cool creative medium.
1: And 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 last time Ron John was on, we talked a little bit about his background as a uh, forex trader. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about yours quickly. You've worked at places like Uber. You are from Turkey. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself before we yeah. jump into our conversation.
2: For sure. Um, I don't know how much you want to go back, but basically, you know, I used to play. Yeah, a do lot it in of like a g- minute or so. Sure, sure. I used to play a lot of video games, um, and I think that's sort of how I got into computers. Uh, you know, I studied computer science, got into Silicon Valley before things went haywire. Uh, my first job was at Dig. I don't know if you know your readers or your listeners remember Dig. It's like oh, precursor. We dig, dig. Yeah, you do. But uh, And then since then, you know, I kind of, you know, worked at companies small and large. Uh, My like last big, big gig was at Uber. You know, I worked on like a couple of different things. Then I took a year off from America, went to Mm -hmm. Singapore, uh, did some business school. The same place like Ranjan went, which was actually kind of like a weird coincidence. And then came back. Uh, It was around when I was in Singapore, Ranjan and I started Margins. Mm -hmm. And that took a life of its own. And then now, you know, I run a small company.
1: Great, Ranjan, welcome back. I'm glad to be back. You're three hours after your second vaccine. Are we allowed to say that on air? I just got my second vaccine. So, from,
0: from what I've heard yes. from everyone, it takes about 24 hours for it to mm-hmm. hit. So, hopefully, hopefully, we things go
1: smooth. We, we right can now. get through this conversation. Okay.
0: So let's talk about anything goes bad. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, which, just, which one uh, did you get, by the way? Moderna. Moderna. Uh-huh. Okay.
1: okay. Yeah. Uh, and they just reauthorized Johnson & Johnson, although it'll be a couple of days uh, old by the time this airs. But um, exciting time, progress. We're making progress. Um, okay. So Ranjan, let's talk about some finance stuff before you pass out on us. Um, <laughs> so the Biden administration has... Uh, last time you were on, we were talking about the GameStop madness, zero interest rate policy and how the government had basically cleared the way for speculative investments because... You know, essentially, the idea is you're not going to make a lot of money with safe investments, so you just go to the next level of risk, and so on and so forth. Well, now, uh, after people had put so much money in things like Bitcoin and Dogecoin and NFTs uh, and just basically gone wild on the stock market, the Biden administration seems to be interested in increasing the capital gains tax, tax to pay for some of its new programs. So Can you share a little bit about what's going on there and then what it might mean for our wild, roaring, speculative investment economy?
0: Uh, Yep. So a big thing for me over the past number of years has been what could possibly cause this to end? Because every single little thing that I think might. uh, What's this, by the way? This being the mania, this being what used to just kind of be Uber, no offense, John, but losing a lot of money yet still IPOing into a $50 billion company. Um, you know, it started there, we work beforehand, then morphing into slightly mm-hmm. more absurd things. And then now we're at the point that Dogecoin. So we're is, living in a uh, market
1: unhinged from, yeah. Unhinged yeah, from un- fundamentals,
0: Unhinged is almost a generous term, I feel. But, but the thing is, so <laughs> ra- raising interest rates always seemed to be the thing that would prick this bubble. And I, I do think that in like December 2018, when the Fed started to hike again, there was this big freakout, stock market fell, and then everything came right back. Um, so this time around, it was very interesting to me, but the Biden capital gains tax gets announced you know, it seems like things are moving more away from the neoliberal utopia that they've been over the last two decades. Um, But I didn't really connect Mm -hmm. that to the mania and whatever specific speculative bubbles there are. You know, again, that's it's taxes, it's not fiscal policy. But then there's one Bloomberg article about connecting the recent drop in the price of Bitcoin to the capital gains tax increase. And again, this hasn't, Passed. This very well could not pass. If it does pass, it will happen. far yeah, down what is it exactly? The, um, the capital gains tax will raise the maximum capital gains tax will raise from twenty percent to I believe it's like forty three point four percent all in. Now, just to be mm-hmm. aware, I had always thought the max, the long term capital gains tax was fifteen percent. I did not realize if you report over I think five hundred thousand dollars income, it's actually twenty percent perhaps some disclosure there, but- uh, mm-hmm. And this uh, is
1: all money that you're making by selling your equities at a, like your stocks and equities at a gain. So you pay yeah, a tax on- Selling your assets
0: you is the key term because Bitcoin would mm. fall into there. Um, and that that's exactly the key term. So, uh, okay. so, so, so again, Bitcoin's down, I think, what is it, like eight, 10%. Again, not that crazy, but- If it is, think about the average person who's up over a million dollars in Bitcoin, probably to their credit is a hodler (laughs) and has been in from very early and almost the entirety of that sum is a capital gain. So if you sell that and you're going to lose 20% of that versus you're going to lose 44% of that, that's a big difference. So suddenly, you know, the, you, utopian dream of I'll hold this forever and it'll go to millions and millions of dollars versus 50K, you at least start to think, wait, something can change. And if it's going to 43%, could it even go higher? Could it even... So suddenly realizing that into US dollars becomes a slightly more urgent thing. So, so maybe there's some percentage of people who actually sold Bitcoin for the purpose of worrying about the taxes going up.
1: Yeah. And, and is that... A commentary uh, is this a commentary on Bitcoin in particular, or is it something that could, you know, I mean, if you look at Bitcoin as a speculative investment, you could potentially look at like the rest of the market as having some speculative premium over it. So, um, is this something that could end up like reigning in on the parade of Bitcoin specifically, or do you think it could have market wide effects?
0: Oh no, I definitely think if that thesis is actually true that. This simple announcement is enough to kind of start to prick Bitcoin a bit. It can definitely have market wide uh, ramifications. Again, it's something like what could prick this bubble? You never know what it, exactly it will be. And again, normally a rise in the capital gains tax, I would not necessarily equate to something that would, you know, quell a speculative bubble. But in this case, I mean, maybe that's what it is. If everyone starts to slowly pull out with the worry that their 20% will turn to 43.4% on some massive gain that's already life-changing money for them, I mean, then you start you start to want to get out. And the more people who start to want to get out of everything, you know, the downward spiral begins. But again, I've I've been wrong on many of these uh thoughts about what could stop the mania and now again doge is at like 0. 0.34 whatever it is and nfts are selling so so who knows
1: yeah and is this a signal that just about how about the mania around the market like um if bitcoin can loot can go from like in the sixty thousand dollar range per coin to Less than fifty, just on an announcement that there might be a capital gain, and we know the U.S. Congress. All right, they don't pass stuff. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, is this just uh, you know a sign of like how skittish people are because they've ridden this wild roller coaster that's unhinged from fundamentals? And do you get the sense that there's a latent feeling among people who have uh, ridden this all the way to the top that it could all just blow up at any second?
0: I, I people in this current market don't know how to take profit that's the main thing cuz no <laughs> one's had to yet you you haven't yep. had to so so and that's a skill unto itself that's like a major skill in any kind of trading actually
1: and taking, taking profit means profit. just selling at a gain and saying i'm out now
0: S- selling at a gain and saying i'm out exactly like, again like the entire thesis of diamond hands i'm going to hold till the end of time it's i mean it, it, it's saying that i will never sell no matter what which is the exact antithesis of how you invest. So, so as long as that's the case, we I mean so much of the speculation that you see, so many even the way like uh, equities and Robinhood or whatever public.com and all these things are marketed, it's towards the idea that democratizing finance is good because you 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 know like you make money no matter what. Everyone <laughs> makes money and you have not been allowed to make this money. So, I'm going to help you make this money. That, but with the assumption that there's no risk, that nothing ever goes down. So, so to watch things go even down a little bit, it'll be very, very interesting to see. But the other, I actually had forgotten about this. I looked at a chart. Do you remember where Bitcoin was in October 2020, just six months ago?
1: Was it like like, I am going to guess like eight to10,000 dollar range 10K? Yep. That was yep.
0: it. 10K. I, I, I honestly, <laughs> like. I think I've like blacked out during this entire last six months because uh, maybe it's not the vaccine yeah. shop, but I, it, it, mm-hmm. I had forgotten it was at 10K six months ago. So again, there's yeah. no reason it can't go back there in the next six months. Um, and all of this NFT craze, all this has just hit during this insane rise up. So All the kind of like technical rationalizations and explanations of everything. Everything's happened again in the last few months when it's on this insane ride up.
1: Right. And we're going to get to NFTs in a moment. Um, And I want to talk about Dogecoin. We can't let you guys off the show without talking about Doge. But um, just the last thing about Bitcoin and Ranjan, you've written about this and we've spoken about it. It seems like it's largely functioning as a speculative asset because you can't, you know, it's a currency at the end of the day. And yeah, of course, it's like scarce, like gold, right? There's only a certain number of, or even more scarce, right? There's only a certain number of Bitcoins. Um, But people aren't using it. I think your thesis is in order for it to be actually valuable, people have to use it to transact. And maybe it's because of this volatility or maybe because it's been a speculative asset. Um, they simply are not using it as a currency. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? What do you mean by that?
0: Well, if you will allow me to then go directly into Doge, because I think this kind (laughs) of like... All right, thank you. I
1: will not prevent Doge conversation on this (laughs) podcast, but you have to explain a little bit what Doge is because I know what it is, but I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that it's become what it's turned into. So the floor is yours.
0: (laughs) All right. So Dogecoin and was started. Uh, Billy Marcus is one of the co-founders. I was listening to him on a podcast recently, but again, it was, it was made as a complete joke. Doge is a, an internet meme, a Shiba Inu, is that the name of the dog? Do Shiba Inu, yeah. Shiba like it's
2: Inu. Japanese fox. It's a very
1: cute dog. Oh, yes,
0: yeah, a very cute Japanese fox, as John <laughs> said. Um, and so, so again, it, the, the entire coin was made as a joke and 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 while Bitcoin supposedly derives its value from its scarcity, Doge can be issued infinitely. I believe It's like it's some I don't know if it's an insane number or if it's actually infinite, but the idea is everything is the opposite of why Bitcoin is supposed to have value. So Dogecoin, this joke oh. currency, has gone up. Um, was it like? I mean, the numbers are almost like they're they're decimals of decimals. It's was at it 0.0006, but now it's around 0. 0.3, which is um, I believe I'd read if you actually had bought Doge at any point over the last seven years, it's actually been an even better investment than Bitcoin. It it's the it's an astronomical rise in price. But the thing is, you don't hear the crypto community celebrating this necessarily, especially the serious crypto community, the Coinbases, the Fred Wilsons, the <laughs> the people who are trying to say no, like crypto and Bitcoin and Ethereum, these things have genuine value that will transform the financial system because Dogecoin has been positioned as a joke, yet everyone is making a joke out of it, but speculating on it and getting rich. So <laughs> to me... That's actually the same way that Bitcoin has developed. And that's what's always troubled me. I've wanted to believe in it, but I've just never been able to really use it. Like, sure, Elon Musk said you can buy a Tesla with it. But even when you look into that, there's like you take on the currency risk if you buy in Bitcoin that when you buy it and when the car comes, if the price moves against you, you have to then pay that difference whereas if the price goes in your favor tesla keeps that difference like like it hasn't actually developed as a currency in any way and no one uses it to buy things really so in the same way it's just become this purely speculative asset with this beautiful story about utopian finance decentralization and you know like we're going to get rid of the evil federal reserve yet in a way it's just behaved like dogecoin and dogecoin going up Reminds us it's of this other like example of just pure beautiful speculative mania, just in all its absurdity.
1: Yeah, and but Dogecoin actually uh, went down a bunch after this capital gains announcement. I, I like think big time. It, or, yeah, 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 yeah. I think
0: I was. I think in the same. I think it was like 15 percent or so.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um. L- let's talk a little bit about YOLOing. Um. People. In the GameStop, sort of yoloed their money in order to hammer the shorts. It's and yolo is you only live once, and it seems to be an investment uh, thesis where it's like, well, screw it, the system isn't treating me well, so I'm just going to yolo my money into these insane speculative investments, stuff like Doge, and then hopefully it will go up. Is yoloing playing playing a role here?
0: I I, I go back and forth on this, like this whole. The speculation is like a rage against the financial machine thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. I mean, people like to make money. People like to have fun. Trading is fun. If you if it's easy because everything's going up, it's even more fun. Um, I think. I think a lot of financial media has loved to tell this story about and find you know these profiles about people who have so, grew up in the financial crisis and. You know, are, are using this new wave of mania to fight back against the Goldman Sachs of the world, but I don't know. I still mm-hmm. feel a lot of this is more. I, I, I think okay. I think it's twofold. I think one, people just want to try to get rich, and if you see everyone around you making a ton of money, if your friend just made five hundred k on a joke coin of a dog,
1: Doge. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, uh, you're gonna, yeah. Uh, you're gonna you feel, feel like a like loser. Like, yeah, like, why am I working for money? You're going to feel like kind of a loser. But also, I do think uh, there's this idea that even in the tech industry itself, the idea of like, you know, 25 year old billionaires and 30 year old billionaires, that whole way in the past where getting rich meant you had to slowly work your way up. And then at a certain point, you will achieve a level of financial stability or even success. I think. The way the tech industry has developed, the idea that getting rich quick is a very feasible, reasonable goal, I think also does contribute to this again. That, you know, if everyone who's 35 is making in the millions, if all these people are, then why aren't I? I think that's also contributed to it as well.
1: Yeah. Did you guys see this article in the New York Times about how? people have kind of like yolo their careers and stepped off the career ladder and left six figure salary jobs in order to, uh, you know, sort of pursue non-traditional uh, uh, career paths or dreams or whatever. And, you know, Kevin Ruse, friend of the program who wrote the story was talking a little bit about how um, part of it is due to the fact that they've been able to save a lot during the coronavirus. And part of it is because they've seen people do stuff like, Uh, I'm going to put it words in his mouth, but like basically bet on Doge, become rich and starting to think that taking risks is a much better way to do things than actually following the system as they've been taught. I'm curious what you think about that.
0: This one, I think, is a slightly longer explanation because I definitely read this story. Um, Okay. If I don't wanna necessarily jump right into NFTs, but I think that would be relevant here if we're just gonna check this out. This is awesome. Boss. This
1: conversation is yeah. just leading itself. Well, this is the best way to pod.
2: <laughs> I have some thoughts after Ranjan about that piece, but uh I'll let
1: well, him start. Well, I well let's actually, John, let's start with you, and then and then we'll have Ron, John, go to the NFT angle, because that will set us off to a whole new discussion. I'm pretty sure. So yeah,
2: I think yeah, sure. I mean, I so think, Yolo, uh, John. Yolo, <laughs> thank, thank you. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, I contributed, I think Yolo to Uber's lexicon because I was like, like we need to Yolo this, and we we're like working on a project, and at some point there was this decision that was sort of like stuck. I'm like, guys, we need to Yolo, like. And then I think that became a part of like Uber's lexicon, which I apologize for. Um, but I think that piece was kind of interesting. But uh, that thing, the, the thing that bothered me with that piece is, you know, after having made you know three hundred, four hundred k a year, working in like one of those like big tech companies, or you know, like even like Series B, Series C companies. Uh, it's it seems sort of like unhinged from reality in in a in a different way. They're like now like I've made you know a couple of million, just basically just like you know pushing pixels around, moving spreadsheets around, um, and then now it's my time to actually like I've discovered that there's more to life. I think a lot of people would like to discover that there's more to life if you can kind of like you know have that sort of uh, cushion, like financial cushion. So I mean, like I guess I don't really have a lot of empathy immediately for people who are like, oh, you know, after working for six-figure salaries for years on end, it is my right to like live this unsustainable life. That not everyone want to live that life. I would want to live that life too. Yeah, uh, but uh, it's just sort of like, kind of like you know, makes so they my blood rich boil a bit off yeah. of some
1: of these. Ideas. It reminds me a little bit of the um, financial independence retire early movement. fire fire movement. I but listeners I got to get um the uh, high priest of that movement Mr. Money Mustache on the show one of these days um but uh I imagine that will be a, a fascinating conversation but um yeah it, it has similar um similar parallels where it's like people who are like saying I'm just going to you know, live life, but probably either came into I some mean, I money think or-
2: it is, Isn't that what most people want to do? Like I, I, I think- Okay,
1: but John, let me, let me uh, push back on this a little sure. bit because yes, a lot of people want to do that and a lot of these people will probably make it back into the system, but there is a way that um, our system here in the States for sure has a way of like keeping you on a treadmill and, you know- Milking the maximum amount of work for you, from you, and yes compensating you well, but sort of presenting it as an as if there's no option but to remain in the system and climb the career ladder and essentially um, hand over you know your quality of life in uh in service of the system and maybe this maybe this is a good thing maybe I find it interesting that people are saying at some point. Screw the system, I'm doing it my way, even though, you know, some of them might be privileged, some of them might not have a chance to do that forever, but I find it kind of like a fascinating movement.
2: I mean, I guess in my mind, uh, removing yourself from the system after having benefited from its uh, inequalities for that many years is not an altruistic stance. (laughs) That's true. It doesn't really, really, you know... uh, I think the the more altruistic and the more beneficial to the societal society I think would be to like try to change the system for other people who haven't had the chance for yeah. all those years. So I guess that's like where my like like lack of empathy comes from. It's
1: like becoming a Facebook critic after making all your money from the early days of Facebook and being like this company is doing terrible things to society while meanwhile helping grow the thing from the very beginning.
2: Yeah, exactly. Little I bit. mean like why just give it back then?
1: Yep, give you it know? back. Or but, uh, find some middle ground,
2: I versus think they,
1: versus make even more money by being a Facebook critic. I, That's a strong, good grift.
2: I, I've I <laughs> get taxed I at forty three. I think. I mean, t- speaking of grifts, get taxed uh, me at forty three percent. One of my good friends we're discussing account. about. Like, I think in twenty twenty, like or twenty twenty one now. I think the fundamental thing is like every business needs to have a grift angle. Like what is That's right. what is your what is your grifts. And I feel like there's no business left there. Like if you're not doing, if you're not grifting, you're leaving money on the table because there's like so much money. So you, every business has to have a grift. I haven't really figured out what our grift is with margins. Like we tried to do, mm. uh, you know, affiliate sales and stuff. I think we made like four bucks. So that grift hasn't worked out yet, but we'll we'll figure it out.
1: Now that you mention it, uh, listeners, I want to tell you about big technology diet pills. Have you been trying to lose weight when struggling? <laughs> A big technology diet pills developed with a proprietary formula <laughs> will take care of all that for you, but you don't have to put in any of the effort. I think that's how Alex Jones does it. Yeah. 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 Algorithms will take, take it off. You'll algorithms. be jacked and people algorithm, will like algorithm, it. Just algorithms take will take it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, AI, okay, AI. could be a good griff. Just kidding. Hey, listen, FCC, that, that was a joke. It's not, it's not real. Okay, don't, don't take me off of Apple Podcasts, please. Okay. Uh, turn it to you, Ranjan. Uh, you're about to tell us about NFTs.
0: Well, uh, one quick note. Well, one quick note i guess i would say <laughs> leaving finance to go to media in 2011 was probably the most yeah. yolo move ever in the va- in the in the vein of what john is talking about here i'm a little comfortable yeah i was selling ad tech so go and, do and this then went other into media thing. i mean i definitely anyways, made the wrong decision um so is it, yolo yeah yolo yolo uh, um all right okay so so this New York Times article, again, around this whole movement of people, you know, giving up their cushy lives to go do something crazy. I, and it was written by Kevin Roos <laughs> of the New York Times, who... <laughs> That's
1: what you say when you're tomorrow. about to smack <laughs> down. I'm loving it. <laughs> um,
0: but one thing I think he missed here, if, for those who don't know, the New York Times NFT'd an article. And I guess it, to, to step back, an NFT is a non-fungible token. It is a... <laughs> crypto uh, crypto asset that basically, allow, uh, I'm not even sure what exactly to call it, but, but it basically allows you to add provenance to a piece of media or art or content, and then that can be traded. But again, so again, idea, you take an article, you say, this article is now a security, the same as a stock, a share of Apple, and now we can all trade it together. If you think it's going to go up in value, you will buy it. The New York Times article that was NFTed was sold for $560,000. And again, all this means is the person who bought it has rights to it, uh, ownership rights to it, whatever that means. Again, we can all go read it on NewYorkTimes.com. It still lives on NewYorkTimes.com, but this one person can say they have ownership rights to it. So again... This is a whole other world that we can definitely get into right now, but specific to the New York Times, it was bought by, uh, I believe it was 3F Music um, was the handle, but it's someone who is a collector of NFTs. It's a crypto investor. And I also, the thing that really caught my eye was the People was this record setting of sixty nine nice. million, real dollars. 69 million well, dollars real dollars sixty nine million dollars per se a well, digital but... art piece was sold for
2: yeah go ahead go ahead yeah
0: well this is the thing it was also another crypto investor who was a very early investor in Ethereum and then you realize people the people who are actually bidding these things up and buying them are people who just are sitting on huge gains of Ethereum, of Bitcoin in crypto. So here's one way you can transact that. But then this builds up such an interest that it drives up the price of that underlying currency, the Bitcoin and the Ethereum even more. So so the New York Times issuing this NFT, a crypto investor spending 560,000 real dollars on it, now has pushed up the value of Ethereum. It builds so much hype. Kevin Roos is writing about it and it inspires other people to want to go yolo and like go do other things and it's this it's like the actual very act of the new york times writing this article selling the nft it being bought by someone who's just trying to drive up the price of their own assets it becomes effectively marketing for them um it's it it's, it's this amazing self-fulfilling ponzi-esque thing that's just there's so many kind of like feedback loops what, working together what, what, what is feeding money into this track them all is then, it, it
2: zerp is it the zero interest that is kind of like feeding this machine yellow uh, investing yes yellow. anyway so there's mm-hmm. this turkish turkish digital artist called murad pak uh he's been sort of famous in the internet scene he's the guy behind the archelettes like twitter username um and then he's been selling like, nfts and then he sold a single pixel for a million dollars, right? But if you kind of like go in, like, how is this even possible? I mean, like obviously someone paid for this. And now you kind of like look into the person who bought an NFT is another NFT person who made his money off of NFTs. And now you try to like figure out like, okay, like where is the dollar? Like where is the the input to the system? Because like Ryan John's point, it just feels like there's like a loop, but at the same time, this like the circle is getting bigger and bigger. So like something is feeding something into this. So, like there's there's gotta be a money somewhere for people to be able to like buy this stuff. Um, so I don't know if it's just like there's so much money coming in, or is it that like no one is actually taking the profit out of the system? That like nothing is ever getting like rationalized. But it does seem wildly sustainable when you can literally sell a pixel for a million dollars. I mean I'm very happy for him. Like maybe like you gotta like do the grift while you can. Like I just feel stupid. Like I'm not like grifting anything, but
1: uh Ronjan, what's the yeah, what's the answer? Where where is all that money coming from?
0: All right. So I think John said it. Until anyone is selling anything and actually trying to realize those dollars to buy something, this can all keep going. Again, the the more I've mm-hmm. thought about this. So first of all, there is so much money out there. I mean, uh, for listeners, I mean, I was on the show earlier talking about ZERP, zero interest rate policy, Federal Reserve uh, keeping interest rates low to spur economic growth by just pushing more borrowing and money into the system. But now, even with the stimulus... That is just this huge flood of more money coming to the system. So so already the system is awash in more money than ever. But again, when you start to think about it, like the franch- uh, fractional banking uh, system, just the idea that a bank can take $1, lend it out and make more money on it and create more actual dollars in usage in the financial system is a pretty nice thing that's helped drive economic growth and kind of is an underpinning the financial system that I'm happy with and it works but now if one dollar actual US dollar, starting somewhere could have bought one bitcoin back in 2011 which is now fifty thousand US dollars equivalent which then can split off into 20 different nfts which can then you know like it there's so many screens showing graphs going up into the right showing such an increase in wealth yet when people go to actually try to do something with that and this goes back to my whole thing about when will people actually be able to use this wealth to do something other than just watch it on a screen what happens because the moment people start selling things move lower and then the downward spirals can begin. But up till now, and especially I would say this has been exacerbated by the pandemic because when you can't actually do anything, the most fun thing to do is just watch that screen with your wealth going up because you're not traveling. Yeah, it seems like
1: a candidate. I mean, obviously we've seen explosive growth, but it seems like like a candidate for a crash, which we've talked about in the past. Yeah.
2: But at the same time, I've been... (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay, both you guys are like hey, yeah, but, Don't I mean, anticipate I, yeah, that crash too soon
2: again. I guess I guess I, I remember, you know, yeah. um, I had I had yeah. bitcoins. I remember I was I had quite a few actually. Um and I was at a I went into like a bodega or something in New York and I remember on the TV it's like Bitcoin price jumps up to three hundred and fifty dollars. And I was like, I think it's time to sell. It is time to sell. So I sold whatever bitcoins I had at like three fifty and like made some money. This was when it was like Bitcoin was like three fifty. Now it's like you know fifty thousand. So I mean, obviously, like this doesn't make sense. That like obviously it went from three fifty like fifty thousand. It's gonna go up again. I just feel like like I feel extremely uncomfortable, and maybe I can attribute that to like you know having lost that money that I could have made. Uh, just like it seems. I I feel uncomfortable saying like it's gonna crash. Like people talk said the same thing about like the tech stocks in 2015, 2016. It's like right about the crash. Like it hasn't. Like I don't know when it's gonna crash. So I don't really know how you could like time the market anymore. So I'm not gonna go on record saying that it's gonna crash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I will say the more <laughs> the weirder it gets every day, the stupidity has legs it can keep going. And we, we don't know where it's going to stop. I mean, again, six. I remember, I think it was last October when Tesla split five to one, The they were openly saying the thesis was, if the stock appears cheaper in terms of numerical value, more investors will want to get into it. Again, I, I was like, no, but that doesn't make any sense because the actual like value <laughs> of that individual share has now been dilute, blah, blah, blah of course I'm wrong. And it just, that actually was an incredible driver of more people buying into it because a hundred dollars, even if it's a much more diluted share, seems cheaper than a $500 share. So, and that was in October. I mean, that was before Pixels were selling for a million dollars and we were all hearing about Doge again. So I, I mean, again, maybe the capital gains tax increase starts to show a bit of a prick into this bubble, but it could get a lot, lot weirder. I and I, I can't even fathom what that could look like, but I, I'm not counting anything out yet.
1: Yeah. Well, that's something I want to talk about after the break. So um, will it get weirder? Let's talk a little bit about the impact of the stimulus and something that you guys call the emerging marketification of the US economy which Ranjan, you and I touched upon a little bit, but I want to expand upon a bit when we get back. So we'll be back here uh, in a moment on the Big Technology Podcast. See you right after the break.
2: Hi, I'm Jonathan Fields. Tune into my podcast for conversations about the sweet spot between work, meaning, and joy. And also listen to other people's questions about how to get the most out of that thing we call work. Check out SPART wherever you enjoy podcasts.
1: We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back here for the second half of the Big Technology Podcast with my friends from the margin, Ranjan Roy and John Duro. So, Ranjan, after we spoke last time, the U.S. government, uh, you know, the the economy was already rip-roaring and GameStop was... Uh, you know, going on its way to the moon, it's still pretty high, actually, I think it's in the 180s now in terms of its stock price. And uh, into this insanity, the Biden, econ- the Biden administration uh, drops $1.9 trillion, some- somewhere close to $2 trillion. Um, I think it's the f- the largest stimulus of its size into a growing economy or the first time we've done a stimulus into a growing economy. And Ranjan, you've mentioned that Stuff has gotten weirder ever since. So I'm curious if you can help us connect the dots here in terms of, you know, what that stimulus has done and um, whether it's helped spark more of this behavior.
0: Yep. The the past few weeks or even months have definitely, you know, like every headline uh, that seems to kind of represent this mania has actually been popping up in real life on one side, Someone was telling me about taking their stimulus money and putting it into yield farming in crypto, which is it's whole other thing. There was a really good Packy McCormick not boring newsletter about explaining what yield farming it is. But again, it's basically just making like eight to ten percent magically um, from crypto. But again, taking their stimulus money and putting it into that. Uh, I know multiple people. Again, you know, in my I uh, just turned forty, and friends of mine are that demographic moving into the suburbs and the housing stories, the house buying stories I've been hearing again, around the New York, around the DC areas of, you know, putting in an offer 20% above the asking price and someone coming in with an all cash offer. Well above that, this stuff is happening. And that this is like made it well into my non tech finance margins podcast circles, this is into the normal people now. Even uh, friends, my parents asking about Bitcoin, that did happen. I mean, we've, we've definitely expanded into that place where there's just so much money out there right now that, you know, where this could go, I think is still, it remains a question.
1: Right. Uh, and And so let's get to this idea of the emerging marketification of the U.S., so I actually kind of, we talked about it and I haven't stopped thinking about it actually since we did, John, And um, I thought it would be a good moment just to pause on it because we do see the government sparking uh, massive growth in the economy right now. And the question is, you know, whether that's sustainable, whether that's desirable and what the consequences might be. Um, so uh, let's get into it. What Can you tell us a little bit more about what it is and um, then we can dig in from there?
0: Yeah, I mean, both John and I have, Kind of touched on this a number of times in a number of different ways. John being from Turkey as well. Even me growing up, my parents being from India and kind of seeing how things operated. And it is this kind of mix of crony capitalism, uh, economic policy trying to push forward a certain type of thing, yet it having adverse consequences, income inequality being absolutely sky high and through the roof, and just kind of a general sense of stasis where it's no longer like, you know, we can just accomplish and do anything, which I think is a uniquely American trait or was, and more this kind of, I need American to treat. get- Yeah. I mean, and honestly, again, this is all of my family, my parents, everyone truly believes this, or at least believed it, um, versus this idea that I need to just get what I can. I need to protect my people. I need to protect my family. I need to like- Take as much as I can out of the system while I can, and I think, and it's again, it's it's in the we write a lot about this in the way tech companies behave and the way financial systems have developed, but it's just the that utopian view of what America was that I think might have existed at a certain point, but now we're all just trying to like still pretend exists. Um, That definitely reflects a lot in the stuff we talk about.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things that that has really occurred to me in terms of like the system rigging, uh, we had Alec McGillis on a couple of weeks ago. He wrote this book called Fulfillment about life uh, for basically not even life for workers in the Amazon Fulfillment Centers, but more just about the inequality that we have in the country and how it's um, a system that's uh, that's essentially like you can fight against, but you can't beat. In some ways, and you look at the differences in terms of education for the top, you know, a couple percent and economic opportunity, you know, you could be in a hedge fund or you can be, uh, you know, working in a fulfillment center and it used to be, you have a factory job, you're doing okay, you know, or you're in a bank, you're, you're doing well, but you're not so much different than the person who's in that factory job. And now just the, the changes have become kind of wild in the economy right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that like Ryan Johnson sort of like hinted at, like crony capitalism too. What I can tell you, like the reason why I came to the States when I came, which was in 2006, was this like, uh, even then, I think even like in 2006 or so, you sort of believe that like, like if you come to America and if you work hard, like the... It is sort of like a place where, uh, like, it rewards the hard work. Like, the system wasn't rigged, because I think, like, in Turkey, there was this like sense of, like, well, you know, like, it is, it is rigged to the core. There's no really like way out of it. Like, you may, you kind of like may move within the bracket you're in, but like that's that's basically where you are. And then mm-hmm. when you come to the states, you'll be able to like, you know, all right, like work a bit harder. Like, probably you're not going to become a billionaire, but you're going to make a decent amount of money. Um, and I, you know, like, I guess like I've sort of like locked into some money by like having worked in technology and stuff, but kind of like, you know, uh, inserting myself like deeper into like the States, you do immediately realize it's like, well, you know, like this place is wildly unequal, unequal. And I think what they really comes down, like what they really impact, like what they really does to the society is like, no one trusts other anymore. And then like, you basically like, you know, let's burn the entire like environment so we can tr- Build Bitcoin, so we can have these like, even like less trust, like trust-based systems. Like instead of like trusting the American government to do the right thing. Like I'm just gonna like make sure I'm just gonna get my news from like some Twitter accounts like instead of just like paying my taxes, I'm just gonna like put everything on like Bitcoin because like screw the American government like now we have this like system that is like full of three hundred and fifty million people that don't work together. There's just like three hundred and fifty million people of individuals, and there's nothing mm-hmm. collective anymore in this country, you know, uh, and then that just sort of like makes me like mad like I sometimes feel like, like did I like bet on the wrong horse coming to the states from Turkey but Especially I think those feelings were like very strong when Trump got elected, Uh, but uh, it's like back in seventies, there was this like Turkish president who very famously said they're like, like, we're going to make Turkey a small America. Because his point was like, America is like, hey, the like, economy is doing great. Like, people are going up in like, income and wealth. Like, America is like where good things happen. Like, you can't say that with a straight face anywhere in the world anymore. If you said it's like, we're going to make this country a small America, like, you'll be voted out of the office tomorrow. If you're like, no, we don't want to become America. And, like, no one wants to become America. But, like, in 70s, outside the US, like, people looked up to the states.
1: And uh, the counterpoint here is that wealth has increased. Uh, across the board in the United States, and yeah, um you know in some categories it's increased far more than others, but everyone's doing a little better than they were i mean do- that's that's what the people making the counter argument would say, so what would is it is it just that people can't move bracket to bracket now that's the issue was that you know, or is there something deeper in it that folks are missing
2: i mean, I'm sure the absolute numbers have increased, but like can you honestly say that like having like I had the sense that even growing up in Turkey, like even my parents' generation, like if you could get a job fifteen years, you'll be able to buy a house of some sorts. Like now, having worked in like technology field, which is like extremely lucrative, having worked in it for like ten years, like buying a house for me is, is like seems still like seems like a bit like out of reach. I probably can do it in some ways or another. But like imagine if you're just like working for like I don't know Walmart's like you keep, let alone buying a house. You have to be on like EBT or like food stamps, right? I think this like sense that like I mean I think some numbers are grown, but like I think the quality of life from generation to generation hasn't really like gotten much better in the states. Yeah, uh, I, I, I can
0: definitely say. I mean, in the 80s and 90s, when a relative from India would come, they would view things in a very specific way. Like everything seemed very nice. Now other countries mm. have caught up. I, I get in this argument with a lot of friends who haven't traveled very much that you know they still have this view of the like 90s to early 2000s where America is just way ahead in so many ways, like you know, infrastructurally than other countries. But other countries have progressed significantly. Many others have over the last couple of decades. Where I think what you said—that word "rigged" mm-hmm. is the key again, it's like like even the way tech companies spend on lobbying, it's kind of this assumption that we are going to play the game because that's the way the game is being played. And it's going to be less about us just out innovating the other, out competing the other. We are going to get into the swamp with everyone else because that is a necessary part of doing business in this economy. And I think like... That's just the way everyone looks at it now that, you know, if things are kind of screwed up anyways, then I'm going to take what I can, screw well, the rest
2: just, of them. I'm I, I, Sorry to like jump in. I just realized, so uh, kind of like connecting, coming like full circle. Um, so starting, I think, April 30, uh, all the Bitcoin exchanges in Turkey are going to have to be shut down because they basically outlaw Bitcoin starting April 30th. And I think yesterday, one of the... Uh, one of the exchanges in Turkey, the the guy who started it, flew to Thailand. Like, he shut down his company and, like, flew to Thailand. And, like, all the people who had their uh, Bitcoins, all these crypto assets in that exchange are, like, you know, shit out of luck. Um, so, I don't know how much money he basically was able to extract. So, he got, he, he you know, he took the profits. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if, like, that's, like, any, any indication that something like that might happen in the States. But know, if like we, we, I think we got Trump earlier than you guys um, in Turkey. So maybe we'll also get (laughs) that in Bitcoin earlier than you too.
1: Yeah. And so um, how do you fix this? Because we we do talk about the problems. And I think that like the word rig, like the system does feel rigged. And there's some truth to that for people that like, yeah, I understand why it does feel rigged. Um, And honestly, from the stuff that I've read. You know, there's definitely things that are going on in this country that favor those who are already in good position and makes it harder for the American dream to be lived out. Is there a way to fix this system or is it just kind of the way it is? (laughs) Perhaps a 43.4% capital gains tax. (laughs) Well, actually,
0: I want to ask, John, are you not going to start your company and continue on it if this capital gains tax passes?
2: I mean, I think I—I I guess my point is that you know, I—I I started it. Uh, I believe that, like you know, some taxation is okay. So, I mean, I'm—I'm—I'm—I'm. I'm, 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 I don't think it really changes like way I make my decisions about it. Um, you know, if the tax comes out to be more, I'll pay more. I think that's the end of it. I was going to um, say maybe
1: we go back to what that. I would yeah. say. I
2: think what needs to be done is that like one of the I do more like sort of fundamental things is that like. One thing that shocked me is how much money there is in elections in the US. Uh, I'm not saying that like Turkey has like the most fair and free elections in the world, but like I think elections everywhere else outside the US is just like a couple month affair and there's not much money. I think it's incredible to me that like any small election in the US, like you have to raise money from these sources. And I think what happens with that is like, not only you become beholden to those people, you change the way you think about the problems. I think you only start thinking about like, how can I make sure I fix those people's problems? And I don't think it's like nefarious. Mm. I think you lose touch with actually the people who are like voting for you because the people who are voting for you are irrelevant to elections. It's how much money you could raise that's relevant. So I think like, if I could have like, you know, I joke about with my co-founder, like if you become millionaires, billionaires, like, what do we do? Like, I, I feel like I would spend a couple hundred million to remove money from elections. So I think that's sort of like a very big lever that America ah, needs to do. Yeah, I know. Rather, rather, so than, to fix money rather than organizing money
1: to fix the money in politics. Well,
2: that's, that's <laughs> the game. A you have it's a to, noble uh, cause. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: I like that. <laughs> yeah supporting a campaign well or,
2: i mean uh, i'm not
1: no i i think it's good so i mean at, at a certain point we do need to get to a point where these this money can't
2: uh, speak i mean the way i'm not i'm not accumulating it to start a new uh civilization or anything like elon musk is it's uh, but, yeah. the, but the joke is that i think you know i would vote for someone whose platform is remove money from politics i guess that's yeah. like the more altruistic way to say it
1: uh, i want to touch on one more thing about the emerging marketification of the united states which is that um and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm probably wrong on this anyway, but I think that there's a certain number of levers a government can pull to um, amp up its economy, uh, and that will work for some set amount of time before it inevitably doesn't work anymore, and some of those bills become due. And you know I, I uh, and maybe this is something that I saw, but I know Turkey definitely liberalized its economy and the economy soared for a while. But then the currency ended up becoming worth like, uh, I don't know, a fifth, a sixth of what it was worth compared to the dollar and the economy has slowed down a bit and there's just a limit to what the government can do and then it eventually catches up. Are we at risk of seeing something like that happen here in the United States?
0: I mean, I would say the thing that allows the US to kind of drive this is just dollar supremacy. The dollar Mm -hmm. is the world's reserve currency. Um, Really gives us more leeway than
2: a uh, turkey. Right. Is an so <laughs>
0: well no, no, but but okay, I buy the argument that to grow, to achieve the growth you need to to help pay back that debt down faster, you ne- still need some amount of money to invest. Again, why an infrastructure bill can be a good thing, why those two trillion dollars mm-hmm. are a better two trillion dollars than a two trillion dollar tax cut. I am full on MMT, new green. What is MMT? Um, Modern monetary theory. Um, But basically the Mm. idea that the government, the way they spend, you don't have to look at it like balancing your own checkbook. I think there's certainly Mm. a lot of things that can be said about why you shouldn't look at it like balancing your budget, like balancing your own personal checkbook is true. But I also do think that Again, the problem in the US economy right now is not that there's not enough money. It's that there's, I mean, there's so much money yet it's not being invested in the right ways and the ways that would actually produce the best outcomes. I think, again, whether mm-hmm. it's taxation, whether it's regulation, whatever it is, it's actually redefining the levers to actually push those assets in the right direction. There's actually a really good Capital podcast, John has Got me onto this. I'm not sure if you listened to it, Alex, um, mm-hmm. but but basically they're talking about how whether the Federal Reserve drives inequality, and they're saying that like the guest on there was saying that the Federal Reserve bringing interest rates low, you would think should actually make borrowing easier for lower income people because interest rates are low. But actually, what happens is banks, the way their risk models work, is they actually stopped lending because they're not going to make a profit. Because the rates are so low that it's mm-hmm. not worth the risk. So what instead happens is they stop lending to lower-income people and only lending more to large corporations and high-yield debt and other—I mean—into private equity and other privileged institutions. So, so it's like until we get all those individual levers aligned properly, I think uh, it, it's it's less a question of that kind of like hyperinflation in emerging market. It's more. Where the
2: money just keeps getting weirder and we keep selling pixels for a million dollars. Yeah. I mean, I think Ranjan is also right that, like, I think Turkey was able to get this almost artificial boost in its economy because, you know, it's fueled by like foreign direct investment and then essentially they sold the company. Like the country's biggest assets, like one and you know one at a time, and I think that sort of like gives you this like artificial boost. But obviously, you know, at some point, like you do have to start like production. You do have to have this product like productive assets. And you know, when did for the foreign money dried up and there was not any lot like, of like productive assets in the country, then you see like economy like slowly collapsing. So I I think U.S. is not this like foreign direct investment driven economy. So I don't think it's at like the risk of that. But I think the more the, the risk is. I think the similarity is more around like what happens to a country when you the entire populace starts like distrusting each other then how do you actually govern a country when like 25% of the people believe that the government is there to like get them you know how do you govern a country when like the, the most important person says that like wear masks and they half the country says no you know uh, i think you just like stop losing like you stop uh, being able to operate as a government
1: right Okay, um, uh, let's uh, hit the home stretch with this final question. Some folks have said the discussion that we've had today, or some discussions along the lines of the one we had today, that, that talks about market fundamentals, balancing the budget, um, the fact that folks are going YOLO with money is sort of the concerns of the elites. And most of the people in this country just want essentially the money machine to go burr and people and it's proven to work out and people should stop being such crab apples about it. What do you think about that argument? Maybe it's right.
0: (laughs) I I, I mean, all right. To get a little bit controversial, I, my friend who runs the pizza restaurant from the DoorDash story has been complaining for weeks now that they literally can't hire anyone. And he was kind of early on telling me this. Um, but, Wait, do
1: you want to quickly recap uh, the DoorDash story? um, (laughs) Let's go to the greatest hits of margins. By the way, John, I'm calling it margins now, not the margins. I've learned. He's beaten it into me too. (laughs) No
0: article the. Um, So so very quickly, a friend of mine (laughs) who runs a pizza restaurant, we had a whole uh, kerfuffle with DoorDash had written a piece and went a bit viral about how uh, DoorDash misprices things and uses venture capital money to kind of screw over small restaurants. But in the past, like basically a couple of months, he keeps telling me, I think there's a 0% unemployment rate that actually, you know, the way we count this, and he, he, he'll he ask me a lot, you know, like, how is this calculated? I don't get it because literally no matter what I put out there, I, I'm not getting anybody. So of course, me being the Person who just writes newsletters and does content strategy and doesn't actually have to run a new restaurant. I'm like, well, just pay them a lot more. You know, why don't you just like there's some clearing price where supply will meet demand and you just have to find that and then everything will be fine. But then he brought this up and then everywhere you're seeing this now that labor shortages, I mean, it's this every single business is having trouble meeting this yet. On the other side, we keep hearing people are hurting, unemployment is still very elevated versus kind of a normal time so So, I do think like it's this reminder that we are in such a weird state right now, and this is actually the part that's kind of again the stupidity has legs and can keep going for as much longer than we think, but it's also the kind of scary part for me is that we're in such uncharted territory right now where you know are people sitting at home, the way we count things is not actually meeting the moment. Like the way the unemployment rate is counted, are people sitting at home who are not actually actively looking for a job, saying they're looking for a job, but collecting federal and state unemployment and hitting an income level higher than what they would make, even higher than minimum wage, but around like 15 bucks an hour. Um, we, we have no way of knowing this yet. Our policymakers are looking at unemployment's coming down slowly, but it's still much higher than it should be because those people are still counted as unemployed because they're taking unemployment. Like it's just it that's I think the part that scares me the most is that we have no idea what is actually happening right now. And especially at the aggregate level and the way we calculate inflation and unemployment and all these things is just not actually relevant to all the weirdness of today
1: but oh, let me just ask one follow up then but so so what do you think about this uh, criticism that these concerns are those of the elite and you know the people who are getting that unemployment money you know have two middle fingers raised to the system and are thrilled to get the cash
0: i i i'm honestly okay with that <laughs> i mean I, yeah. in the sense that it's a yeah. concern of the elite i do think it's a concern of Business owners, the owners of capital, policymakers, mm-hmm. like they are yeah. the ones who benefited. So figure it out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like, yeah, mm-hmm. if I have no, the same way everyone has been told, like, you know, that uh, the way business has operated for the last 20 years is just a function of capitalism, then yes, if I can sit at home and make more money than going to some lower wage job of course the economically rational thing for me to do is to do that and to say oh, i'm unemployed like i'm you can sit back and talk about the respect of work and whatever but i think this again goes back to this emerging marketification and lack of trust like that's gone hmm. so i think yeah two middle fingers in the air and saying i'll take my unemployment <laughs> there's not that is the rational thing to do and there's nothing wrong with that um so yeah i do think It's the, the people who have made the decisions and continue to, it is their responsibility to figure this out.
1: Right. And I guess the worry is the one that we touched on earlier is that eventually it does crash, but, uh, you know, who knows whether that will actually happen. Maybe this is something that can sustain forever. Although saying those words to me just feels so wrong, feels so (laughs) improbable, but here we are, here we are, John.
2: Well, you know, uh, like your, uh, your podcast called like Big Technology. So I'll, I'll tell you a built big technology story and sort of like the opposite end of like what Ranjan talked about. So what I do right now is try to hire people too. You know, like we we raise some venture capital you know, we have like a project in mind like me and my co-founder. We're trying to build a team to hire people and then being in the Bay Area, we're in Oakland. Obviously, there's like big tech companies have a lot of people that were trying to like, you know, hire. Um, and then I think I've talked to, I would say like 50 plus people who work in like big tech, you know, Google, Facebook, all those places. And then I'll tell you like a couple of stories. It's just like, you know, we talk to people who work at, let's say a big tech company that is not really known for its ethical business practices.
1: Um wouldn't be Facebook,
2: would us us Let's protect the innocent. And then this person, because obviously they need protection more than our capital, but like this person is like, well, he was like, he or she was like, well, I'm making 400K right now, $400,000. So you need to be able to offer me something similar for me to like continue the conversation. Right. And it's just like, well, okay. Like that's not something that, that is insane. That number is insane to me. Or, and then, you know, we go into this conversation be like, look, like, do you enjoy your work? Do you enjoy like working at just like ethically, uh, you know, questionable companies? Like well, I try like not to think about it too much, right? Um, that's
1: what they. That's what I always hear. Right? Yes. It's just, okay. you know, like,
2: yeah. and I think like, and then is that a rational thing? Because that person is not doing as much work as they could be doing, but they're making like bank, and because well, because it's they, you know, the company they work for is a monopoly, and like they don't need to worry about like competitive pressures of the market anymore. They they're literally printing money practically, right? And then their employees they don't enjoy their work. They think their company is unethical, maybe, but like I cannot hire anyone either. So like I'm willing to pay six figures too, just not that much. Uh, but I cannot hire anyone. So like it does feel like economy went off the rails. There's nothing rational anymore, either on the low end or on the high end. So I don't know where this ends, but it just seems kind of like we're just like uncharted territory where it's just like unhinged. There's just like a lot of money, but like, where's the money? Like, is just everyone buying like pixels for a million dollars? Like, and where can I get some? You know, that's like where I'm going to end it.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think one thing to really keep in mind, and I've been, I've been almost trying to like yell this at friends, especially in finances. <laughs> we, everyone has been conditioned to track economic success by a stock market ticker on the bottom right of a TV screen. Like, you know, everyone is – if stocks are going up, things are going well. And even Obama was very vocal about it in terms of the recovery. Um, Trump clearly would uh, – Trump
1: never cited those yeah. <laughs> numbers.
0: <laughs> never, <laughs>
1: never. Um, I, I think we – Mr. Trump, what do you think about the coronavirus? Well, if you look at the market, the Dow coronavirus is over.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, but this is where <laughs> – I think we like the media, especially the financial media, has to be really disciplined around how we communicate progress. Because again, if 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 like Shopify, Peloton, Tesla, if all these come down 30%, is that really a significant change? If Bitcoin drops 90%, is that really a significant change? Yet, I mean, do we start like having a ticker showing The Gini coefficient, which is just like a super esoteric economic indicator around income inequality. Yeah.
1: Income inequality.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Around income inequality. Do we have the median wage of the average US employee? Like, I don't know. Like, do we, how do we represent this stuff so it's in a way that if the stock market falls, because if policymakers decide like we need to reshape the whole way this is constructed? Right now, everyone would freak out and be like, oh, my God, the roof is falling in Um, instead of actually having some kind of framework to sit back and be like, all right, this is okay, This is right. This is good. And I I don't think we have that yet. So I'm hoping uh, we can figure that out.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a great idea. Um, I just want to end on a story. I wasn't really planning on sharing it, but whatever. I'll share it anyway. Uh, I don't really remember my dreams too often. And last night I had a dream that I was working either as or with a counterfeiter who were just printing money and got caught and went to jail. And like as they were like locking me away, you know, I had a question in my mind. How is this any different from all the rest of the people printing money? Anyway, this has been an illuminating conversation. I appreciate you guys coming on. Margins. Is uh, is again one of my favorite reads, and uh, and I encourage everybody to subscribe. It. How else can folks follow your work online?
0: Uh, you can find me at at Ronjon R A N J A N X R O Y on Twitter, and John has a better Twitter handle than I do.
2: Uh, that's that's so long. How do you even find people? Write um, <laughs> right,
0: first name so on my
2: Twitter. my. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> well, my my Twitter handle is at C A N like the word can because the Turkish name, um, just three letters. Yeah, that's all shorter than Jack Dorsey's.
1: Shorter than Jack's. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Ron, John, and John, thanks again for coming on. It's great having you here on the show. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Nate Gawatney for editing as always. Very talented editor. Appreciate you. And thank you to red circle, uh, for hosting the show and selling the ads and uh, if you're a first time listener, if you want to hit subscribe, we do these every single Wednesday with tech insiders and outside agitators. If you're a long-time listener, you're already at hour and eight minutes or so. Uh, was this a good show? If you enjoyed it, uh, please give us a rating on Apple. Uh, that will help us with the big technology algorithms uh, so we can keep this podcast going. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Big Technology Podcast. I've been told to have a better sign-off than just have a good week. So I will say thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it as always, and we'll see you next Wednesday.